0: Circus, a Kiss album podcast, one fan's opinionated analysis of every Kiss release. I am your host, Ryo V, and I thank you for taking the time to join me for this special bonus episode, The Year in Kiss 1991, and I say welcome to the show. Before we get into the bonus episode, if you like the podcast, please subscribe If you haven't already done so, please leave a review on iTunes. Positive reviews and subscriptions help other KISS fans to find this podcast you have any comments you want to provide any feedback anything you want to discuss related to kiss or the kiss podcast you can reach me at psycho at gmail.com that's psycho at gmail.com you can also follow me on twitter i am at rio on twitter that's at r-y-o-v-i-e on twitter Alright, as this is a bonus episode, we're going to forego the usual today's communication where I uh, delve into certain happenings in the world of KISS, and uh, tune in next episode because there's a lot going on in the world of KISS that I want to get into, but uh, we will save that for the next episode, so uh, tune in there. And if this is your very first episode, uh, A, welcome, welcome aboard, and B, normally uh, we'll spend the first few minutes of the podcast talking about uh, current events of KISS, answering some questions that I get over email and Twitter, doing some polls and some communications, and uh, got a lot of good stuff coming up on the next few episodes so if you um you don't particularly care for the album analysis but you like the communication part of the show well definitely be sure to tune in the next uh, two to three episodes because there is some good stuff Coming up there. All right, so let's get into this bonus episode, the year in KISS, 1991. So 1991 was a very special year in KISS lore. Uh, 1990 ended with the band wrapping up their Hot in the Shade tour and just looking forward to getting to work on their next album. In February of 1991, Kiss decided they were going to go ahead and use Bob Ezrin to produce their next record. And we'll get into that much more on the next episode, which is going to cover Revenge. But to touch upon it briefly here, uh, Bob Ezrin was responsible for what I feel is the best Kiss album ever recorded, which is Destroyer, and one of the biggest flops commercially for the band, which is music from The Elder. Uh, And Again, I don't think it's their worst album, but I know commercially it was a flop. It did not do what the band had hoped. So, Ezrin produced what uh, you know many critics and myself included consider their best album, and then what uh, a lot of people consider their worst album. Definitely, commercially wise, you know, sales-wise, uh, one of their worst albums. So, it would be interesting to see what would happen with Bob Ezrin and the band getting back together for one more album. Now in March of that year, March of 1991, um, tragic news struck the band. Drummer Eric Carr was diagnosed with a heart tumor and he had surgery to remove the tumor. So he had open heart surgery to remove the tumor but soon after that surgery more tumors were discovered and chemotherapy followed but in September of that year Eric suffered cerebral hemorrhage and uh, he was hospitalized and on November 24th 1991 Eric Carr would pass away sadly and from the New York Times I'm going to go ahead and read the actual obituary that was published in the New York Times upon Eric Carr's passing so from the New York Times Eric Carr the drummer in the rock group KISS died on Sunday at Bellevue Hospital He was 41 years old and lived in Manhattan. He died of cancer, said his publicity agent, Carol Kay, of Chaos Productions in Manhattan. She said he had been hospitalized and suffering a cerebral hemorrhage in September. Mr. Carr joined Kiss in 1980 after the departure of drummer Peter Criss, one of its founding members. The group's other original members were Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and Ace Frehley. KISS, formed in 1972, is known for outrageous stage effects, among them a fire-breathing bass player, and its kabuki-like faces painted in black and white. Although Mr. Carr joined the band after its heyday in the 1970s, he recorded eight albums with the group, starting with The Elders. And that's the New York Times uh, misprint, not mine. (laughs) Starting with The Elders in 1981. His last was Hot in the Shade, released last year. Mr. Carr is survived by his parents and two sisters. The funeral is scheduled for 11 a.m. on Saturday at St. Joseph's Church in Middletown, New York. Now let me set the stage here. In November 1991, I was just out of high school. I was working two jobs and I was trying to find my way in life. Music was one of the rare things that I had that brought me complete joy. And two of my favorite bands at that time in my life were Kiss and Queen. Kiss was my favorite band and Queen was one of my top bands. And although I would not get the news on the same day, both Eric Carr, drummer for my favorite band, and Freddie Mercury, singer for one of my other favorite bands, would die on the same day. And I, I was heartbroken. It was it was all over people that i had never met i didn't understand that like it's they didn't know me i didn't know them other than their music and yet here i was sad distraught almost brought to tears over this loss. And that's the type of power that music can have over you. That's what can happen when you enjoy something so much, so deep, and so profoundly that it becomes part of your everyday life. I was actually depressed over people I had never met because their art had meant so much to me. Losing Eric Carr was gut wrenching. I mean after his passing I know that I played Hot in the Shade a lot, particularly Little Caesar, which is the song he sang on, and I played his version of Beth a lot from Smashes Thrasses and Hits. And you know, I listened to a lot of modern kiss in general, and I just I just felt awful for a week or so. And of course, I had some morbid thoughts of my own, you know, was, was this the end of KISS? What were they going to do for a drummer? Would they get Peter back into the band? And if so, did that mean that Ace was coming back too? What did that mean for Bruce Kulick? Were they just going to go out and get a brand new drummer? Uh, so many questions, and I, I wanted answers immediately. And it did not go unnoticed that this was going to be the first personnel change for the band since 1985, when Bruce Kulik took over guitaring duties. And this was the most stability the band had since their original days. And now, with the tragic loss, what was going to happen? And this lineup had been together um, quite a few years, and and I think you know they didn't produce the same they didn't release the same amount of albums as the original four. but years wise it was almost identical to the number of years that this lineup had been together uh you know from 85 to 91 because remember original kiss was only together from 74 until uh 79 and then you know peter left the band and then a shortly thereafter so Stability-wise, it was about the same. This lineup might even have a little more. But, you know, what was going to happen next was a big question that was going through my head. What was the band going to do? Enter Eric Singer. Excuse me. Kiss did not wait long to introduce a new drummer to the band. And Eric Doyle Messinger, a.k.a. Eric Singer, became an official member of Kiss in December of 1991. He was known to Paul Stanley because he had played drums during Paul's solo club tour two years prior. He had been hired earlier that year to help fill in on some drum tracks while Eric Carr was in the hospital, so he was the most logical choice to continue on. Now, obviously none of this was known to the fans at the time, we just knew that Eric Carr had passed away and within weeks the band had announced a new drummer. And this helped to fuel a lot of speculative rumors that KISS were already working behind the scenes to get rid of Eric Carr anyway. And and that, there was tension amongst the band. These rumors came out, you know, a lot of tension amongst the band. KISS was going to get rid of them anyway. They already had this drummer waiting in the wings. Now, I don't think there's a lot of truth to those statements. I think they were created by the gossip train. You know, just to have something to talk about. And and we'll get into that a little deeper um, shortly, a little later in this episode. You know, Eric Singer had a pretty professional resume prior to joining KISS. You know, as we know, he was the drummer for Badlands. If you listened to that episode, you know all about it. And if you didn't listen to that episode, I highly recommend you go back and do so. Um, And I'll fully admit that when he was announced as a drummer for KISS, I didn't even make the connection. You know, after I purchased my copy of Revenge, I still didn't make the connection. It wasn't until it was pointed out to me in some music magazine that I went back into my collection, looked at my copy of Badlands and said, Oh yeah, that is him I realized I didn't realize that was the same drummer. You know, that's when I finally made the collection. I just I didn't really know who the drummer of Badlands was. You know, to me it was jakey lee's band and it was jakey lee I, I couldn't name any other member of the album um that was in the band no matter how much i loved the album that's just being honest you know i didn't pay attention to who the drummer of badlands were it was one album it was jakey lee's band and i loved it i loved the album but I didn't obsess over it like Kiss. I couldn't just name all the performers off the top of my head. Now, Singer had also performed with Lita Ford, Black Sabbath, Paul Stanley, um, as we said, and then, of course, the aforementioned Badlands prior to joining to Kiss. Now, think about that rare fact. Eric Singer replaced two icons of rock. He replaced Bill Ward in Black Sabbath, and he eventually replaced Peter Criss in Kiss. That is quite a resume. Now, Singer is definitely an astute, solid drummer with great ability, and he did a fantastic job on Revenge, which we'll dive into deeper when we get to that episode next time. He's a talented drummer who became a member of the Kiss family with relative ease and has since gone on to be one of the longest tenured members of the group. Go figure. Now let's get back to those rumors that the band was thinking about giving Eric Carr the boot in nineteen ninety one. Now the rumors predate Carr's illness and they really got hyped up during the reunion tour, which I'll explain shortly, because I'm sure you're asking, how can a rumor about a band member get kicked out how can a rumor about a band member getting kicked out of a band start after they had passed away? Now, the rumor mill works in mysterious ways. There had been ongoing rumors for years that Kiss was knocking around the idea of getting the original band back together much earlier than they did. Before revenge was even started, there had been talk of a reunion. Sometime during the Hot in the Shade tour, I believe, the rumors really started to get hot and heavy instigated by one of the hard rock magazines, Hip Raider, Metal Edge, Circus, one of those. Um, They are interviewing Ace and asking about the possibility of a reunion. Gene, however, continued to deny that it would ever happen, but I read somewhere that even he was giving it much consideration during the late 80s. And that leads to the rumors of Kiss wanting to get rid of Eric Carr prior to revenge. You see, this question came up a lot during the reunion tour. What would happen if Eric were still alive? Would Kiss have gotten Ace and and you know would Kiss have gotten Ace back and let Eric join? Uh, let Eric do the tour as the Fox? You know would they go non makeup? Would they go full makeup? Um, would the band have gotten rid of Eric and just gotten Peter back? And as those questions were asked, there was a lot of speculation that there was tension in the band and either Eric was thinking about leaving or the band was thinking about getting rid of him or both. Now, in my opinion, I think the band would have went with the all original members and they would have gotten rid of Eric Cox along with Bruce Kulick, of course. Now, I also think that the reunion tour may have happened earlier than it did, and we may not have gotten the unplugged convention tour. That's just pure speculation on my part, but I, I do think that's... How it would have went down, and that would have been a real shame. Because longtime listeners know my favorite era of Kiss is the unplugged era. I just, I just think it's the, the best era of the band, um, and some of the best uh, live recordings they've ever done came out of that era. Now, in August of 1991, Kiss released uh, a single for a movie, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, uh, which was a sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which starred uh, Keanu Reeves. And it was it, it, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. There were there were good movies. They were funny movies. there were stoner movies, I guess you'd call them nowadays. Um, so anybody who remembers those, uh, you know, remember how, how great they were, or maybe you hated them, I don't know, I thought they were great movies, but Kiss recorded a song for the soundtrack of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey that would uh, that would go on to be on Revenge, and that was God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, and we're going to get into this song itself a lot more on the next episode, um, we're going to cover it for the the Revenge episode, but, you know, just know that... For for this particular version of the song, the single, it was released for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Kiss did a video for it to help you know promote the song, promote the movie, promote promote the single. Um, so they did a video for it, and in the video, Eric Eric Carr was on drums before the video. It was the last Kiss song to feature Eric Carr, you know, before he passed away. Um, and although he was too ill to play drums on the track, his sickness wouldn't let him play drums on drums on the track. He's featured on backing vocals, and he's in the video. Um, you know, the drums were actually recorded by Eric Singer, but. Eric Carr is in the video and, you know, at that time we didn't even know he was sick. So I remember seeing this video and getting really excited saying, oh man, Kiss has a new song out. It's a great song and it's featured in this movie. And I remember seeing it in the movie, you know, during the end credits going, God, this is so great. I can't wait for this this full album to come out. It's going to be wonderful. And then obviously things changed very quickly and very drastically. But again, at the time, I didn't know Eric Singer had played the drums on, on the album. Um, you know, again, this is pre internet days, so bands get away with a lot of shit. <laughs> a lot of uh, studio musicians playing tracks and you know, just giving credit to Paul Jean, Eric uh, Eric Carr and Bruce Kulik, even if it wasn't them playing it, you know. It's like uh, for years and years I didn't know Dick Wagner played the solo on Sweet Pain. I was just figured that was that was ace. So, you know, thanks to the beauty of the internet and blessing and a curse, you're able to uh, find these things out and and get the real deal. So Eric Singer played drums on God gave Rock and Roll 2 U2, the single version that was released for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. But it was Eric Carr that was in the video because, you know, it was still that that's what Kiss was at the time. Gene, Paul, Bruce and uh, Eric Carr. So he was featured in the video, but uh, did not play drums on the track. Now, 1991 also set the stage for the future of Kiss. Um, you know, it's set up what I personally think was the best KISS tour since 1977 and possibly the greatest tour they ever did. And it's sad that it was without Eric Carr because he was a brilliant, brilliant drummer in his own right. And he was a beloved member of the band. And I, I loved the songs he performed on. And I loved his time in the band. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be alive when he was a member of the band. You know, I got into KISS in uh, the the when Crazy Nights came out was when I really really got into KISS around 87 so I was able to see as the album's released and you know see Eric's uh, performing and you know I, we talked about this on Smash Dress and Hits episode I was able to listen to Eric's version of Beth and all the controversy that came with it and just really able to appreciate Eric Carr for the drummer he was as it evolved you know fans who came in later after the fact they can listen to the recordings now and, and you know perform their formulate their own opinion, but it's all after the fact. You didn't get to see how he evolved and how the band evolved while you know, while during their lifetime, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. So I did love Eric Carr. And I did love his drumming, but Eric Singer was no slouch, is my point. And, you know, he was the drummer during, again, what I think was the greatest tour KISS ever did. Now, you long-time listeners, you know how I feel about set lists. You know what set lists mean to me. You know how I constantly complain that KISS doesn't mix it enough, up enough with their set list. But let's take a look at the set list during the Revenge tours. In 1992, which was set up by 1991 which is this episode, let's take a look at this set list for uh, the Revenge Tour. They open with Creatures of the Night. And then Deuce, I Just Wanna, Unholy, Parasite, Heaven's on Fire, Domino, Watching You, Hotter Than Hell, Firehouse, I Want You, Forever, War Machine, Rock and Roll All Night, Lick It Up, Take It Off, Strutter, I love it loud. Detroit rock shit city, shout it out loud. God gave rock and roll to you two, and they close with Love Gun. Look at that set list. It is my dream to see a set list like that. It is so out of the norm. I could spend days going over this, and and a little inside peek. Um, I do have a future bonus episode coming up, uh, Bootlegged 2, Bootlegged Volume 2, where I am going to pick apart a uh, bootleg recording that I have uh, from one of these concerts during the Revenge Tour. So I'm really going to have fun with that episode. But, I mean, look at that set list. It's one of the best parts of that set list is that Rock and Roll All Night was not the final song. It came pretty much in the middle of the concert. That's awesome. And I know some of these songs were brand new at the time and they had to be played, but I just think that set is so diverse and so different. And, you know, when Kiss released Sonic Boom, when Kiss released Monster, they didn't play three or four or five songs off that album. They put one, one song off that album. Like, that's weak. When *Vince* came out, they played four or five songs off the album. And it was a good album. They should. And Sonic Boom was a good album. And Monster was a good album. And, but my point is, they they should have played more. And, you know, by now, if you listen to more than one episode again, you know how I feel about set lists. And this this was one of the better sets that the band ever did. And you know, this is the tour that would eventually become um, the soundtrack for Alive Three. So you know, it was during this tour where they would record Alive Three. So 1991 was a very special year for KISS um, as it was was a setup year. And it set up what was to be the last leg of the non-makeup era. And that's an era that was a little too short, in my opinion. Um, and it was the last hurrah for that version of KISS. Yes, they would go on to release Carnival of Souls in 1997, but you know, honestly, that album got swept away due to the reunion tour hype and the reunion tour happenings. Um, Carnival of Souls never got properly marketed, and KISS has never played a song from that album live, which is a real shame, because I would have loved To hear some of those songs live, and we'll we'll get into that album more when we get to that episode. Um, You know, it's a few episodes down the road, but uh, I am gonna have fun picking that one apart as well. In 1991, it was it was the beginning of the end for non-makeup Kiss. You know, it would be a wild finish, and it would lead to what I think is some of the best times in history. But it was the beginning of the end. It set up what was about to come which was the acoustic uh, convention tours and the unplugged era, which i absolutely love and then obviously it went right into the reunion era and yes it was it was devastating to lose eric Carr. and like i said i was deeply saddened over the loss of someone i didn't even know um and again that's what that's what the power of music can do for you and that's what being a fan of something can do for you you're saddened you're you're I'm literally saddened at the loss of someone you never even knew. So um he he had uh, his legacy will live on and you know they were fortunately uh, fortunate enough to include a track by him on the upcoming Revenge album and we'll get into that more next episode but it was a nice touching tribute and a decision I'm glad the band went forward with. We get one more one more little taste of Eric Carr before um you know, we, we lay him to rest and put him in our memories. So, again, it's sad. 1991 is a sad year. It was a sad year in KISS, but it was a setup year. It was a special year in KISS. It set up what was to come, and it just helped show the power of perseverance you know like even after a tragic loss like that the, the band continued on and I know other bands have done it as well Metallica comes to mind right away a tragic loss of their bass player and uh, they were still able to you know continue on as a band so it, it just it shows a lot It speaks a lot to the band themselves and you know their willingness to move forward even after losing a certain memory and just just shows i guess the human spirit it really just shows how strong we can be when we collectively try and uh, give our best effort and and you know just shun shun the pain and and move forward um regardless of the fact that everything is is falling down around us and you know losing a key member of the band still being able to move forward so spoke volumes for kiss and uh, nineteen ninety one like I said was a very special year and it was it was to me the year that marks the beginning of the end of the non makeup era and in just five short years the band will be back completely in makeup that they will not take off again until the end of their career which is happening right now and they're going on their you know they're currently out on their farewell tour full makeup of course all right that's going to do it for this special bonus episode of the Psycho Circus podcast it was short it was sweet um, but I felt I had something to say about this year and so, thank you as always. Thank you for listening. If you got a comment you want to share, you can email me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail dot com. Um, you can reach out to me on Twitter at ryo v on Twitter at r y o v i e on Twitter. And of course, be sure to tune in next time where I will cover the song of this song i will cover the album revenge and um, we're gonna have a lot of fun with that it's one of my favorite albums i'm really looking forward to discussing that in full deep analytical detail so tune in next time for that and until then the carnival has just begun we've been to the past we've been to the future We've been all around the afterlife. And you know, Ted, the best place to be is here. The best time to be is now. And all we can say is, let's run!